Hello and welcome to episode four of Audio Pelago, a podcast about Indonesia from New Mandala. I'm Liam Gammon and I'm the editor of New Mandala. And I've got a sort of uh, amusing little conversation that I recorded back in October at the Ubud Writers and Readers Festival about Bahasa Jaksel. And if you don't know what that is, keep listening. But first of all, as usual, uh, I want to talk politics. And to talk about that, I'm here with Tom Power who's a PhD candidate here at the Australian National University's Department of Political and Social Change. Tom, Happy New Year. How are you going? Happy New Year, Liam. I'm well, thank you. And joining us from Singapore over Skype is Dr. Eve Warburton, who's a visiting fellow at the ICS Yusof Ishak Institute. Hi, Liam. Hi, Tom. It's been a week of some significant uh, set pieces in the 2019 presidential election campaign. The first of those was this big speech from Prabowo Subianto, where they called it the uh, the dialogue. What is it called? Dialogue Kebangsaan or something like that. Um, Pidato Kebangsaan. Pidato Kebangsaan. Yeah. The second, of course, was the uh, first televised debate, uh, and we're recording on the day afterwards. Uh, Tom, did you did you um, did you stay up for the for the midnight kickoff in Canberra? Uh, I didn't. I watched it this morning. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> did you did you watch it live? Eve? You're in the right time I zone. I did. I watched the first half of it li- uh, live, and then I had to admit it became rather tedious, uh, and I had trouble staying awake, so I turned it off and watched the rest this morning. <laughs> okay, no. No, no, no. And like you, Tom, I did not stick around to the wee hours of the morning in Canberra to watch this. And to tell you the truth, I'm glad I didn't for reasons <laughs> which I'm sure we're about to talk about. So I might just monologue here for a moment. I mean, overall, I thought that debate was pretty pathetic, both as, as television <laughs> And also as some kind of exercise in democratic accountability. For the benefit of anybody who hasn't gotten around to watching the replay so far, it went for, what, two and a half hours? The broadcast was about two and a half hours long. It was carried by some of the biggest TV networks in Indonesia, or at least all of the major news channels. But because of this totally just bizarre and bloated format, you really probably only got, I mean, the whole thing could have been 40 minutes long. Yeah. And it still probably would have been mm. pretty boring the candidates actually knew which questions were in the mix in advance. And every time the moderators posed a question to the presidential and vice presidential candidates who appeared on the stage together, they had this little ritual where, where the, the candidate had to choose a ping pong ball out of a big goldfish bowl filled with you know confetti or whatever, uh, which had a letter on it which corresponded with an envelope which was on the table of the moderators and so they went through this whole kind of it was like choosing powerball every time they had to ask a questions and it was so pointless and bizarre because the campaigns got the questions in advance and also they were still confused by the process even after (laughs) yeah six questions had been posed at one point mark just dropped the ball back and the moderator went to such a great um ends to sort of demonstrate that the envelope with the question in it was still sealed yeah. It is still sealed. No one has seen this. Is it? No, Masi actually, everyone has seen. Know? Masi and holding it up for everyone to see every question in advance. So anyway, yeah, yeah. It, there was a lot of theatre. It was quite a production. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I guess the first thing to observe was that the format was totally ridiculous, which was a turns funny, 
but I think it produced a debate that was that did not really prompt a lot of back and forth between the candidates, except maybe at the end. Um, oh. The questions, uh, by the way, were really, really soft. Sangat uh, normative, as they would say in Indonesia, and, and were basically an invitation for the candidates to spout motherhood statements. So um, there was a serious side to the silliness of the, de- of, the, of the format, I guess. And uh, wh- what were your thoughts on the kind of substantive debate, such as it was, that, that we saw? I think there were a couple of interesting points that were raised. Um, so we should actually probably clarify that the, the, the debate did have a theme. The theme was, yeah. it, was it was human rights, corruption, and terrorism. terrorism law, yeah. enfor- uh, law. law enforcement uh, law and enforcement terrorism. Yeah. And terrorism, yeah. Uh, there were a couple of interesting points that were raised in, in sort of substantive policy terms. The first um, arose quite early in the piece, and that was Jokowi's suggestion that he plans to establish this national legislative centre, um, mm. which would sort of be an oversight body that uh, allows for dialogue between various arms of government. Um, so the legislature, various executive um, institutions, and also subnational governments. Um, mm and that it would basically take on some kind of oversight role in, in lawmaking. That seemed to be what he was suggesting. Now, this is something new. We haven't heard this announced previously, right? So it seemed quite odd that he decided mm. to launch this, you know, in the middle of a debate. Anyway... In, in, in which he had about 45 seconds to, to explain it. <laughs> to explain <laughs> the details, yeah. Um, but it did strike me perhaps as, um, you know, another step in this steady re-centralization of power that we seem to be seeing under the current administration, uh, the idea that that he would see the, oversee this directly as president um, was, was one of the interesting little details he let slip there. So, yeah, that was one early um, uh, point that was quite interesting. It was also good to see some of the back and forth between the candidates on issues like the neutrality of law enforcement agencies and also, you know, criticism of Jokowi for for perhaps manipulating those law enforcement agencies in the course of this campaign. Uh, so yeah. there were a few there were, there were a few elements that were quite interesting in substantive terms, but broadly speaking, it was disappointing. I would agree with Liam. Yeah. Yeah. No. I I think it, those were probably the only two points that I would emphasise as well. When you got a mention of a concrete policy innovation on the part of Jokowi. Um, and there was almost nothing from the Prabowo side. But I think that, you know, there were just so many opportunities on both sides to well, for Prabowo to criticise Jokowi on a whole number of policies associated with law and human rights, uh, and he didn't do it. And, in, and then on the Jokowi side, there was so little attempt to, to defend his record. And, I, and part of it, I think, was that he just he was not comfortable up there. He didn't think very well on his feet. Uh, there seemed to be a lack of preparation on both sides, considering they had all the questions in advance, and yet they still couldn't come up with very substantive answers to these questions. I thought it was interesting that he made these repeated references to Indonesia being Nagara Hukum, right? He kept saying, you know, Indo- basically there's a rule of law. If you have evidence that there's been discrimination, mm. if you have evidence that there's been, um, you know, uh, the, the misuse of, of law enforcement agencies, then you have to provide that evidence to those mm. agencies and have them investigate it and have them prosecute people who've been perpetrating criminal activity. Mm. So basically he seemed to be uh, assuming that the way in which the entire Indonesian legal system functions is far more transparent, far more accountable um, Mm. than anyone else who's observing these institutions would ever (laughs) give them credit for, right? It's almost Mm. as if he's living in sort of a parallel 
a parallel system. Scott, oh, good God, right? power. Do you think it's yeah. possible that the president was being a little bit disingenuous about the way the Indonesian <laughs> law enforcement apparatus works? Well, it was, it was interesting that he didn't attempt to sort of suggest that he has improved these agencies right. at all, right? It wasn't that he's defending yeah. his record. He's just claiming that they are completely neutral, that they are mm. not subject to political invention, that, that, that there isn't a big problem with corruption. And, of course, Prabowo, mm. for, all, for all that he can't be believed on these issues, did make you know, a far more compelling case that that, that isn't at all mm. a, a, you know, a sort yeah. of realistic interpretation of the way in which the legal system operates. I mean, mm. Eve, um, you made a comment before that it was surprising how little length Jokowi went to to actually defend his record. But I, I would mm. say that uh, he didn't really need to because Proboa was barely on the attack at all. The style of this was really weird. If you'd asked me yeah. the moment before this began what the, the dynamic in this debate was going to be, I would have expected that Proboa would be a little bit more aggressive than he was. Sandy as well, perhaps. And I would have thought that actually they would outperform Jokowi. But Jokowi actually did quite a bit better than Well, he was very combative. Yeah. He was very combative and he was very aggressive to the point where I almost thought it was a bit too much. I mean, he didn't crack a joke or smile or engage in any sort of <laughs> humorous, you know, uh, back and forth with anyone. He was very, very – and I think part of that is – I mean, at halftime he looked like he was personally affronted by the entire kind of setup, that he didn't want to have to stand there and engage in this sort of um, uh, in this sort of questioning of his record. Or, I mean, I know Prabhupada didn't do a very good job of that, but he didn't want to really have to, to participate in this kind of uh, forum. And but, uh, but, I, but at the same time, I think, you know, Jokowi's thing has always been that he's uh, insecure about the fact that most Indonesians still view Prabhupada as more to Gus. So last night he could have had... He, he was trying very, very hard, I think, to cultivate this sort of Tagus image. And I think he did a pretty good job of that. But um, you're right, Prabowo, who has always been the Tagus one, I thought was really, again, sort of performed in a very lacklustre sort of way. He really has, he really lacks the hunger that he had and the energy that he had back in 2014. Um, you know, I, I was looking at it again this morning and he looks like a man that's sort of turning up and playing the part without putting in sort of the preparation and the um, putting in the sort of time and energy that 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 anyone is going to have to put in to try and challenge Jokowi, who's 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 coming at this from such a position of strength. And instead, you had just sort of Jokowi going on the attack and Prabowo just really, I don't know, in some in some senses, low energy, it off and mm. low, low energy, energy low energy. Bowl. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I think, yeah, low energy Prabowo. yeah, I mean, I mean, human rights, corruption, uh, law enforcement and terrorism, not so much. But but these are issues where if you wanted to really take some skin off Jokowi, you could. Just yeah. just just you and know, equally revealing you... the, the the gap between the promise that people felt and mm. the reality. Uh, and mm. Prabowo and, and Sandy, I barely even bothered. It was actually Jokowi going on the attack. I, I noted down mm. two examples. There was an exchange at the at the very end part of the debate where the mm. candidates were allowed to ask questions of each other. When mm. Jokowi picked up on one of the one of the the, the pro bowo Sandy campaign platform pieces, which was you know uh, empowering women, blah blah blah. They have some line in there about women, and Jokowi mentioned the fact that basically all of the office holders of Gurindra Prabowo's party are all men. Um, great question, but yeah. why was that dynamic not reversed? You had another one as well, where Jokowi, in a in the context of a discussion about corruption, um, had a go at Prabowo for signing off on the nomination of six parliamentary candidates um, who yeah. are former graft convicts. 
I, I guess it raises this question of if Prabowo and Sandy aren't displaying this kind of killer instinct, um, is that because they've judged that going on the offensive is not going to work? Or because that this this is just not really a super serious campaign on their part. There are rumours now circulating, of course, that there was a deal done between the two camps ahead of the debate not to sort of delve too deeply into their respective weaknesses on human rights. How seriously do you take those rumours? Well, I mean, I'm not going to say that they're true. They're rumours, okay? So it's worth mentioning that given how how softly they did go on each other, it is worth perhaps contemplating the possibility that there was a deal done where Prabowo's very um, problematic human rights record wasn't raised and mm-hmm. where qu- the question about Novel Baswedan, you know, a former yeah. KPK investigator who was attacked with acid a couple of years ago and whose attackers remain um, at large, you know, mm-hmm. those sorts of issues that would be a stain on both Prabowo and Jokowi's record were not raised during the debate. Yeah. It's possible I, that there I was a deal done. I think it's very possible. I, you do have to start to wonder, like, what... What is the game plan here from Prabowo? Is he just turning up and playing the part, as we've speculated before, for the sake of Garindra? Does he, does he, did he nearly? Did he really never want to be here, uh, investing all this time and energy in what he might see as an almost unwinnable race? Um, and some people might walk away from that debate feeling that way. I don't know. It certainly wasn't the Prabowo that we knew back in 2014 when the stakes were high uh, and when he was hungry for the presidency. Um the, the thing is, though, <laughs> Jacoby obviously still feels insecure because he is putting in that kind of energy. He does look like someone who who feels the stakes are high. And as Tom has written about uh, in a very compelling way, you know, Jacoby is investing so much time and energy in uh, ensuring that whether and, and manipulating, you know, law enforcement institutions to prevent the opposition from gaining too much ground in this election. And yet Prabowo himself is doing very little to try and gain ground, I think. For me, the star of the oh. debate was actually Sandy. I mean, Sandy. Oh, say Maruf. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's something we should well, definitely let's, let's talk get, about. Let's get Maruf out of the way first. I mean, because yeah. he actually only answered one question. He, he, the moderators invited him two, to answer. I think, to, I think he answered two. two okay, yeah. well, I, yeah. I know, I know. It's, it's a lot. It's it, the, 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 the moderator twice as much as you. Yeah, he was invited <laughs> to extend an answer that was given by Jokowi, and and uh, you know, old Maruf says. Um, yeah, I agree with the president. Yeah, that's yeah. enough. Okay. I have nothing to add. Yeah. <sighs> but it was so funny, actually, just just the visuals of it. Oh, yeah. It was so um, Maruf is a tiny, tiny bloke. I thought it was very interesting to watch the way in which he collected the balls. And I think someone, I think there was, a you know, one of those social media posts that goes viral that says, you know, is this Maruf's job? Is he Petugas Ambil Bola or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> oh. that's, that's his job for the... Um, Bingo! <laughs> In all seriousness, though, he, I mean, he, he brought, but he brought nothing to the table. He's, he was not an asset in any way for Jokowi last night, and it seems like he's not even going to be much of an asset for the whole campaign. Well, it's going to be really, really interesting in March when we have the vice presidential debate, where Matruf will have yeah. to have a, a head-to-head with Sandy, right? So if he performs in that, in that debate as he did last night, that wow. could be disastrous. Well, just going, just coming back to this question of what is the Prabowo Sandy game, Sandy uh, game plan? I mean, put, putting this in context, right? There was a, there was a peculiar little interview that Sandy gave to Tempo Magazine late last year, in mm-hmm. which he said to the interviewer, "Oh, if the economy's strong, the incumbent will win." Uh, he mm. was he was. Uh, you were, you, did you guys read that? It, w- it was a very very odd interview. It yeah, seemed 
it smacked of controlling expectations, like lowering expectations, basically. I mean, I've been yeah, a broken record on this. I, I, you, you referred to it a moment ago as, a, as an unwinnable election as far as Prabowo is concerned. I, I'm not sure about that. I think that if he really went hard on Jokowi, it, it is absolutely winnable. Um, yeah, of course. But the, I think that, you know, maybe the calculation and we, of course, we're speculating here that's been made in Prabowo's head is that it's still it was always going to be a hugely uphill battle. And does he does he have the resources and the energy to, to kind of launch that kind of campaign all over again? And I don't think from the start he wasn't convinced that he had a chance and he's not ever been, and he doesn't have the funds or the energy to do it. And so he was put there. He, he's, he's done this, as we've as you said, a, a few times as well, to basically to do what his party wanted and to expand Garindra to really kind of launch a, um, a really strong campaign, the legislative elections, enjoy those coattail effects, give Sandy a platform for 2024. I mean, if they, I, I think he'd, if, if he had not run a serious campaign, he'd have a very good chance, but he's not doing that. And I think uh, the other part of the story here is, and we've talked about this before as well, is that going soft-ish now also ensures a relatively warm relationship behind the scenes with PDIP and Mega, right, and and to an extent maybe Jokowi, and that, you know, the goal here is to expand Garindra and get into government, you yeah. know, where it hasn't been for the last five years. Tom, I know you've talked about this before. Well, well, it was very striking to me during this speech that the, the Pidato Kabangsaan that he, uh, he gave a couple of days out from the debate, that he was making very clear overtures in my mind towards the mm. governing coalition and sort of talking about patriots in PDIP, patriots in Golkar, praising mm-hmm. Jokowi and then shushing the audience when they sort of jeered. So it, it mm-hmm. struck me that, yes, he's very interested in getting into government and probably that's where he sees, you know, an avenue to actually recovering the resources he spent in 2014 and exactly. whatever his expenditure yeah. here is, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think we, we were among the people who, if you'd asked us five years ago, is Probo a ruthless and power-hungry, we would have said, yeah, Absolutely. And now we're all sitting around saying, oh, okay, well, look, he's kind of checked out and wants to just retire <laughs> and protect his family's interests. Well, if, he, if, if that drive for power was so deeply rooted in his character and his psychology, um, where did that ambition go and why? Yeah, why isn't he yeah. channeling Why is he just becoming this? a normal yeah. kind of Indonesian politician seeking patronage after the election as, as part of a party cartel? Mm. Mm. It's a very good question. Sounds like there's a new Mandela article in that, Liam. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, just um, okay. This 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 conversation is sort of um, you know, sprawled beyond control here. But um, I guess to to wrap everything up, um, we all agree that this was pretty poor as entertainment, also pretty poor as an education. exercise in accountability. Yes, as in, in educating the voters. Mm. Okay, so what? Like, why why do we care? I mean, was it was it ever a serious proposition that these debates matter for, you know, democratic competition. Um, what does it mean that this debate was um, so bad for the quality of this election? Well, I mean, the first question is, do these debates matter electorally? Hmm. I mean, I, I know that uh, Burhanuddin Muhtadi wrote an article, Burhanuddin, of course, um, one of our former colleagues, ANU, and the director of a couple of the major polling institutes over in Indonesia, and he wrote uh, an article that suggested that not only do a lot of Indonesians watch these debates, but that back in 2014, uh, Jokowi's performance, which was surprisingly solid back then in 2014, people didn't think he would do as well as he did, that that really helped boost his popularity and helped get him over the line. 
I don't know what you guys think of that. I mean, yeah. I, I always have it in my head that, yes, a lot of people watch these debates, but uh, particularly reflecting on the outcome of 2014, I don't remember many people emphasizing the debates as a kind of no. crucial element in Jokowi's victory. Well, it, I, I don't know, Tom. What do you it's think? notable that that's that when the debates were being held coincided with Prabowo was right actually sort of spiking in the polls. This was in 2014. Right? In 2014, yeah. yeah. 2014. Yeah. Um, so. The idea that Jokowi was benefiting from uh, the debates to me seems a little mm. dubious, given that he was actually losing ground in the polls at that time. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Sorry, Burhan, if you're listening, I, I think I think you've <laughs> I think you've fallen for the post hoc fallacy. Uh, but I, I mean, it's good. Good people can disagree on this. I guess the thing right. to mention is that a lot of people watch this debate. I mean, there are, most of the TV channels carry it. So whether you like it or not, I mean, you're going to come across the broadcast. In defense of the proposition that these things matter is that, well, I mean, there were just so few platforms to put the candidates under this sort of scrutiny. So I think to the extent that these debates fail to deliver that scrutiny on on the incumbent or or on the challenger, I I think it's actually pretty bad for the quality of the election. Because, yeah, I'm struggling to think of where else you're going to get that um, right. get that accountability. And, 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 uh, and It's a real missed opportunity, I think. I think you're right. It's a real missed opportunity. Because the only other place you get that kind of accountability is on some of the talk shows like Rossi or Matanajwa, mm. where you get the sort of the heads of each campaign or members of each campaign team sort of going at each other. And that often just devolves into like a sort of a horrible... Yeah, shouting um, match, you know, basically. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think you're right, but I think it is just a serious missed opportunity. It's worth mentioning that the 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 KPU, the Electoral Commission, apparently uh, forged an agreement with the two camps, right, in designing this elect in this uh, debate format. So it wasn't the case that this is just the Electoral Commission deciding this is how it's going to be held. Mm. This is the Electoral mm. Commission taking advice from Jokowi and Prabowo and their various you know campaign team members. Yep. And then deciding that this is the way in which the the, uh, the questions should be, and in t- in t- and you know in that sense it's exactly the same as the US or Australia or the UK. I mean, they're always these are always these debates are always designed in consultation with the campaigns. But the final point I, that I would make is not only was this debate bad, but I'd say it's actually worse than anything we saw in twenty fourteen in terms of in terms of format, mm. less substantive, I would say, less combative. And going back to 2009, go to, I, I mean, this would be a good point to do a little bit of a history lesson, but just just from my own recollections, this was, yeah, I mean, significantly yeah. worse than previous. I think you're right. Yeah. And I was even thinking, I don't know what you guys think about this, I think it was the, the quality of the debates for the provincial elections were better. Yeah. The quality of the yeah, questions. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, quality yeah. of the, answers, the level of detail that gets asked in the provincial level elections is actually quite, uh, sorry, debates, is quite impressive. What do you think? Well, compared to this, certainly. Really. Yes. Okay, guys, uh, we're out of time. So I'm going to have to draw a line under that. Thanks so much for chatting today. And uh, we'll get you back on here another time to talk about the latest in politics. And now for something quite different. If you sit around in a coffee shop or a cafe in South Jakarta, aka Jakarta Selatan or Jaksel, before long you'll start to hear some people speaking in a strange and wonderful dialect, which has come to be known as Bahasa Jaksel. And to talk about this, I'm joined by a couple of Indonesian writers whose work has touched on how English is used by Indonesians today. Here with me is Rain Hudori, 
and Ivan Lanin. And uh, Rain, can you introduce yourself in Bahasa Jaksel? Oh my god, in Bahasa Jaksel? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Halo, gue Rin Hudori. Gue penulis, uh, gue kurator Koma Books. Uh, apa? Which is? Oh, no, oh my god, I hate that. <laughs> I hate which is. You have to mimic yeah, oh, that. Right, right. Gue, gue kurator Koma Books, which is an emerging writers division di penerbit KPG Gramedia. Uh, so you you uh, so you literally penerbit atau penulis yang I'm terkenal ya? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm literally penerbit. Ya, yeah, I'm literally literally literary. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. okay. So in plain English, uh, <laughs> in plain English, um, who are you, Rain? Uh, hi, I'm Rain uh, Hudori. I'm a writer and I'm a curator for Comma Books, which is. Um, an emerging writers division in Penerbit KPG Gramedia. Okay, so this is the uh, Gramedia publishing and bookstore house that a lot of um, international visitors will be familiar with. And joining us is Ivan Lanin. And Ivan, you want to give it a go, introducing yourself quickly in Bahasa Jaksel and then in plain English. Wow, I cannot do that. <laughs> okay, I'll try. <laughs> okay, nama saya Gue uh, Ivan. Um, which is paling dikenal dengan sebagai Wikipediawan di Twitter. Uh, literally banyak orang mengikuti saya karena uh, well, that's formal Indonesian. <laughs> literally mengikuti gue karena uh, bahasa Indonesia gue sangat formal. Uh, I feel I'm not feeling good about that, but I have to. <laughs> so uh, I'm uh, I'm a Wikipedian. And I'm a Indonesian language enthusiast, so my primary activity is uh, on Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, people usually ask me about uh, Indonesian language matters since about 2009. So it has been uh, six years, uh, nine years until now. So we'd better actually probably define exactly what we want to chat about here. So one of the things that people now associate with Bahasa Jaksel is this code switching or mixing between Bahasa Indonesia and, and, and English, English especially. which has come to be, uh, I guess, really associated with the culture of South Jakarta, which is this uh, quite wealthy and very cosmopolitan area of Jakarta. And the reason I got interested in this is because, yeah, you sit around in a cafe in Jakarta and, you know, as a Westerner, it's funny hearing people switch back and forth between Indonesian and English or mix it up in a way that, to me, as an Anglophone, doesn't always make sense. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but it's, it's also not gone unnoticed among Indonesians. I mean, in the past few, it probably be the past couple of months, this turned into a bit of a joke on Twitter, right? Yep. So I'm not sure exactly what, stru- what uh, sparked it off. But people started sharing these screenshots of conversations they'd had on WhatsApp or Facebook where a colleague of theirs or a friend from Jaxel, South Jakarta, had spoken in this uh, sort of patois of Indonesian and English. People were making jokes like, okay, let me put that through, let me put that through Google Translate and you, know, you get this very parsimonious explanation of something in Bahasa Indonesia. Yep. So, I mean, Rain, do you self-identify as, a, as an Anak Jaksel? What's your background? And yeah. were, you, were you a little bit, uh, I guess, offended by some of the backlash against Oh, no, I'm not offended at all because um, I do find our uh, – it is a slang. Our slang is quite silly. And I think um, we do have to be self-aware that it, it, it 
does sound a little strange and a little silly, but also a little fun. Um, there's also like um, a sense of casualness in it. I mean, if you're anak jaksel um, and you socialize with other anak jaksel as it usually is, because jaksel is the hub of um, the creative industry. Um, it's where all the writers and illustrators, designers, filmmakers... Um, you know, fashion designers and so on. That's that's where we work. So of course, there's um a sense. I mean, there, of course, there's a new language there. So what is it exactly? I mean, why do people in the creative industries and I guess and look, it really is an elite thing. I mean, why yes. do elites in Juxel really like mixing up the way they talk with a bit of with a bit of English? Is it exposure to foreign media? And particularly, when did it happen? Was it social media or movies or culture or just the business world? What do you reckon? Um, well, I, I was born in 94, uh, 94 and um, I went to international schools my whole life. Um, and everyone spoke like that. Everyone that I went to school with, even though they even kids who weren't Indonesian, you know, kids who moved here early because their father, usually their father moved to Indonesia for work, uh, would code switch between Indonesian and English. And it was just something that we grew up with naturally. And it is something that is spoken uh, by middle, upper class kids or mostly upper class kids who went to international schools, who, you know, have a lot of buying power, who goes to like the hippest cafes and, and galleries and are, have a very strong social media presence. Mm. So, it's, so it's not a new thing. Actually, it already happened for quite some time, maybe 10 or even 20 years from now. I think uh, the reason is because uh, first, Indonesian people come from abroad and they have, because I have some of my friends that, that uh, experienced that, they have experience in explaining things in Indonesia because they spent too many, too long, too many times in, in abroad. And when they came here, uh, they use they try to use Indonesian, but they mix it with English because they forgot how to speak about that concept. I think that's what triggers the the, the triggers the phenomena. Let me ask a question. So, and let's let's just listen to a little clip now of the pop star Cinta Laura. <laughs> sure. Uh, but for now, things are going well. Then, um, gimana? Aku sekarang udah tinggal di LA satu tahun tiga bulan, hampir empat bulan. Then, as I said, aku aku nggak janji tahun depan aku jadi superstar. No, that's not gonna happen. Tapi yang pasti, aku senang banget proses syuting filmnya udah mulai tahun ini. And how did I do that? Selain banyak banyak casting, aku mulai networking sama orang-orang yang among the industry entertainment is sana influential dan mereka believe in my talents believe in what i can do dan <coughs> gitu deh so dari dua film itu lu ikut casting so let me ask do you think that that's authentic because a couple of my friends we were talking about this and and we think that maybe she's putting that on do, you, do what's your thought about that i believe she made it up i mean i have some friends that uh, not even Indonesian, but they are from Australia or English. Over time, they will learn how to pronounce Indonesia in the correct way. Yeah, I believe she, if she intend to do that, she can do that too. I mean, Rain, why do you think that for some Anat Jaksel, it's 
it would be cool to speak bad English, bad Indonesian. It's a social commodity. It it, it you know it's um it's telling um the society that you're in. Like I'm educated, I speak mostly in English. Uh, all my friends speak in English, and um you know I'm very cultured. I'm modern. Um, I I work in a very um, high end industry, and my family is wealthy. So Ivan, you've got a new book out. It's Xenoglossophilia. Now my 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 Greek is a little bit rusty, but I <laughs> I'm gonna assume that means some kind of affection for yes. foreign lexicon, right? Xeno yes. is uh, foreign, uh, glosso is language, and philia is affection. So what brought you to write this book? I mean, how do you? I mean, you've got a background in the private sector. How do you get to this point to write about what is essentially um, kind of a, a buku panduan or a, a handbook? For Indonesians to replace loanwords mostly from English with words from the Indonesian dictionary that work just as well. I mean, what motivated you to to put this in writing? Okay, that's actually a collection of my journey towards learning Indonesian. I start to force myself to learn Indonesian about 2006. Uh, that's because I wrote to Wikipedia, Indonesian Wikipedia. Uh, I realized that my formal Indonesian is bad, and then I I start to learn again Indonesian language even though I'm an Indonesian. So what motivates me to uh, write my blog, uh, it, the writings in this book are taken from my book, uh, my blogs. Uh, I want to I want to document uh, my journey. I don't accept, uh, whenever I try to solve some uh, issue in Indonesian language, I don't accept, uh, we call that in Indonesia, pokoknya. How do you say in in English? Uh, it has to be this. You I know how you translate. You would definitely. say basically, definitely, definitely, yeah. definitely. Uh, I, I'm my background is technical. I'm a chemical engineer and I also an information technology uh, uh, bachelor. And uh, I I always I always try to find a logical explanation on everything, uh, and also language. So, Rain. I mean, you write novels and mostly in in English. I mean, why? I mean, what was behind your decision to write primarily in English? I think in the beginning it wasn't really a decision. It was more of um, a method of comfort because I I did go to international schools my whole life and um, my entire family are is uh, they're multilingual, multilingual, right? And um, they, you know, they speak a variety of uh, European languages and uh, English and a variety of local languages. Um, and because I went to those international schools, um, we mostly used English. So, yeah, it was more of a comfort but comfort. yeah but I, I do I am learning how to write in Indonesian but I, I'm not confident enough right now it's impossible to talk about sort of the politics of using English in Indonesia without putting it in the context of this moment that a lot of um, sort of observers are saying that we're in of rising nationalism in Indonesia and a, a growing ambivalence about the influence of foreign cultures and languages and, and ideas in Indonesia I mean, Ivan, I mean, do you get the feeling that, for better or worse, your crit- your critique of, you know, the overuse of English language in everyday Indonesian is part of that, that sort of cultural backlash? Uh, I don't intend to do that, actually. Well, my, what 
it's 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 started as simply as I want to share my experience. I want to let other people know that uh, what they assume about Indonesian language sometimes is not correct. So that's my actual intention. I don't dream about nationalism, other stuff like that. But I just want people to understand that uh, uh, Indonesian language is not is also cool. Uh, it's it's just like other language. We have every language has their own strengths and weaknesses. So and it's very good if we learn uh, lots of language because each language has the, uh, their own uh, back, uh, culture, cultural background. So by learning other language, we also learn other perspective. We also will enrich our views. So that's uh, actually my intention. I can totally understand that because, I mean, I'm, I guess, uh, an unusual case, but at my academic department at the ANU, we've got a lot of, I've got a lot of colleagues who've learned Indonesian and can speak Indonesian. And often we find ourselves reaching for Indonesian words when there's sort of an English equivalent that doesn't quite capture what we want to say. We'll say things like, oh, that guy, he's so sombong, which is a great <laughs> word because it connotes this combination of conceitedness and arrogance. That, like, I can't think of an, an English word that really does the job or... You know, you go to a restaurant and say, oh, well, it's a bit sippy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Quiet? No. Uh, sippy, but also it, 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 I think it implies a kind of, it's kind of sad yeah. and pathetic. And but it's, well, it's yeah. vice versa. I mean, there are also lots of English words that has not cor- yeah. no correspondent yeah. word in Indonesia. Mm. Well, yeah, like I said, every each language has their own strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, it. We shouldn't be too doctrinaire on this, but I think um, one thing that was interesting about your book was just, I guess, yeah, opening people's eyes to all these great words in Indonesian that do the job perfectly well. So just finally, before we wrap it up, um, because I'm a student of politics and it's all I ever want to talk about, let's just listen to a little clip um, that I noticed doing the rounds during the 2014 election. I don't think about that. Why not? I don't think a, about A lot that. of people think you have the potential... That uh, they have confidence in you leading the country. I do think about that. Now I'm focused. I'm concentrated to my job as a governor of Jakarta. <laughs> Is it something you've ever thought about? I don't think about that. <laughs> <laughs> we, our competitive advantage is actually in the agriculture sector. Our our weakness also is in agriculture sector, but. Our opportunity is also in the agricultural sector. You Why see, is it a weakness? You see, a weakness in the sense that the present situation now... So what do you guys make of this? Because Prabowo is supposed to be the nationalist candidate. Um, so why is it important to his supporters that he speaks good English, or at least speaks much better English than Jokowi? And what do you think this suggests about the way that middle class or elite Indonesians... Um, judge their politicians by the way they talk. I think again, it um, it's it shows that English or other foreign languages is used as a social currency. So people respect him because it shows that he is cultured, he is educated. Um, you know, he's well traveled and well versed in other languages. Um, whereas with Jokowi, I remember when that um, clip was viral. A lot of my Jaxal friends were was imitating him. You know, they say like, 
I don't think about death, right? <laughs> everyone, <that>. yeah, <laughs> everyone is saying that, and I mean, it is it is um, humorous. It, it's sweet. It's it's more sweet than than <laughs> like uh, you know than mean spirited. Um, but I also think that it it kind of humanizes him because that is a quality that. Um, Wait, I can't say that. <laughs> I think <laughs> too political. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I do think that it humanizes Jokowi, and part of why he's beloved by a lot of people is because um, he kind of shows a closeness to the people, mm. especially to people who are not maybe fluent in English uh, or other languages. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think this is a very good case of. Uh, the use of language as a political tool. I mean, uh, I will not told you about my preference, mm-hmm. but I will see the. I will told you about the strengths and weaknesses. For the Jokowi side, like uh, uh, Ryan said before, it shows the closeness of the root. While for uh, Prabowo case, it shows internationalization. Which one that the voters choose will will depend on uh, their political uh, side so yeah again each has their own weaknesses and strength and i believe that uh, each side will continue to to attack that part of uh, their leader Mm-hmm. It's interesting because uh, I think you know who is an Anakchak cell. It's probably Prabowo because he was edu- yes. he received his high school yes. education mostly overseas. And I can remember reading uh, in 2014, Tempo did a profile of him, and one of his former colleagues from Akmil, uh, from the military academy, said um, we had to basically teach him Bahasa Indonesia. <laughs> um, so I think there's a there's a great irony there. So yeah, Anakchak cell to learn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guys, um, thanks so much for making the time to talk Thank to us. You. It's been really interesting Thank chatting you. about this. And uh, even your book is Xenoglossophilia, and yes. people will be able to pick that up at uh, any bookstore. And Rain, uh, what's your latest work you got to plug? Biru. Uh, it's my first book in Indonesian, but it's translated by my mother and my partner. Fantastic. Wow. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you. That interview was recorded at the 2018 Ubud Writers and Readers Festival, to which I should declare the organisers gave me a free ticket. Thanks as well to the festival organisers for facilitating that interview. That's episode four of Audio Pelago, and if you are listening to this at New Mandala or at SoundCloud, remember that you can also subscribe to Audio Pelago and all of New Mandala's audio releases at iTunes or through the Apple Podcast app. Just do a search for the show title. Thanks for listening.